What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is the word of God. Father God, would you give me words to speak to your people now, that they might be built up in their faith. Father, to those of us who are thirsty, may your words satisfy. To those who are distracted, may your words take hold of us. To those who need encouragement, may your words spur us on. To those who doubt, may your words bring assurance. And Father, to those who are lost in darkness, may your words now bring light and life. Speak now to us and help us to hear, we pray. Amen. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. A strange recluse who spent the last 364 days watching you sleep is about to deliver his verdict on whether you've been naughty or nice. Have to wonder how nice you have to be to be nice. Because growing up, I saw plenty of not-nice kids at school get plenty of nice presents. And everyone at the shops seems to be buying presents for everyone. Seems to me that the bar of niceness is set pretty low, but I don't know, maybe some of you will get lumps of coal this Christmas. The fact that over the years we've kind of invented this figure who judges children's actions and into naughty and nice and and rewards them accordingly. It says a lot about who we are, doesn't it? 
Justification by faith. A way of being justified, declared right with God, in right standing with him, that does not depend on you, but depends wholly on Jesus and his sacrifice for sin. This is the good news that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, a way of getting the present that you don't deserve. But is it actually true? Do our works really not matter at all? Could it really be possible that there is a way of being right with God that has nothing to do with anything we do or how good we are? Surely what we do must matter, right? Even just a little bit. Just think about this for a second. I mean, surely the God who gave us the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, the God who has so much to say about doing justice and about sexual immorality and about greed, the God who stresses so much the requirement that we would love him and love our neighbour, surely that God must take into account what we do when it comes to deciding who is and who isn't righteous. Surely our works matter. Surely when it comes to God, we get what we deserve, right? Not right. Because this is precisely how many in Paul's Jewish hearers would have responded to this teaching that they've got from Paul. They hear Paul teaching about justification by faith alone and they go, that can't be right. And so in chapter 4, Paul sets out to reinforce his argument, to, to fully persuade, particularly the Jews, that righteousness is by faith alone and has always been by faith alone. And so to convince the Jews, Paul brings up as an example the, the Jew of all Jews, the, the heavyweight champion of the Jews, 
the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham. Now, Jews held Abraham in very high regard. There were many Jews who actually thought that Abraham was righteous, that, that he perfectly obeyed God. Now, if you were with us uh, last year as we studied Abraham's story in Genesis, you'll know Abraham was not righteous. He was an idol worshipper living in Babylon who twice sold his own wife down the river to protect himself and then at another point took, decided to speed up God's promises by sleeping with his wife's servant. Abraham was not righteous. And what some Jews did with Abraham was what many Roman Catholics do with their saints. They overlook their faults and they remember only the good and they're left with a a perfectly righteous person. Many Jews in Paul's day would have held uh, Abraham up as an example to follow. The way to be right with God is to obey God just like Abraham did. But what did Abraham discover in this matter? That's Paul's question in verse 1. Was he justified by his works or was he justified by faith? In verse 2, Paul lays the question on the table. He says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. If Abraham could have stood before God and said, I have earned my status before you, I'm amazing. He would have had something to boast about. But but the more important question comes in verse 3 when Paul says, but what does scripture say? Now, just as a quick aside, it's it's interesting to see how Paul views scripture here. Because he, he doesn't say, what do the scriptures, plural, say? He doesn't say, what did the scripture say? He doesn't say, what was written in scripture? Because in Paul's mind, scripture is is singular, it's all one. It's present, it's not just then, it's also now, and it's, it's the voice of God. Which means the Bibles that you hold in your hands are the singular, present voice of God. Your Bible is not just a book. It's not just a collection of stories. It's God's voice to you. (laughs) Listen to it. Well, what does the scripture say? Well, Paul quotes Genesis 15. It's referring to the time when God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations which at the time was unthinkable. Abraham was old, his wife Sarai was barren, and they had no children. But in the face of a physical impossibility, something that just could not happen, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that word credited is one that uh, Paul's going to go on and use 11 times in this chapter. It becomes the focus of this chapter. And and it's an accounting word. You know it. You've got a credit card. When you credit 
someone with something or some status. You, you confer upon them something that they did not have before. When you apply for your credit card, the bank credits you with money that was not yours and won't really be yours. Now, if I would go to the bank and get a loan for a million dollars, the bank would, would credit me with something that I did not have before, and the moment that that money hits my account, I could legitimately be called a millionaire, even though only a moment earlier I was far from being a millionaire. I'd been credited with a new status, one that I previously did not have. Well, Paul says, in fact, God says that when Abraham believed God, he was credited with, counted as righteous, right with God, a status that he did not have before. Because make no mistake, Abraham was not righteous himself. Previously, he did not have that status. But because of his faith, God counted him as righteous. Now, in verse 4, Paul points out that there are two ways that you can credit someone with something. You can be credited something as a gift, or you can be credited something that you have earned, something that you are owed. Last week, Janice's pay came in, and it was quite a bit bigger than usual, which is nice. We thought maybe it was a Christmas bonus. But Janice works for the education department, and the education department doesn't even buy milk for the staff room. So they don't pay Christmas bonuses. Well, Janice found her pay slip, and as it turns out, this bonus, which we had thought perhaps was a a gift, turned out to be a year's worth of leave loading that they hadn't paid when she had actually taken her holidays. It, It looked like a gift, but in fact it was an obligation. They owed her. Well, in verse 4, Paul says that to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If you do the work, then what you get paid is what you are owed. It's not a gift. And so it means that either God owed Abraham, and he was obliged to credit him with righteousness, or he didn't owe him anything And it was a gift. Well, in verse 5, Paul shows us very clearly which one it is. Because he says, However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, that faith is credited as righteousness. Who is credited with righteousness? Not the one who earns it. Not the one to whom God owes it. The ungodly who does not work, but trusts that only God can justify them. Which means Abraham wasn't counted as righteous because he perfectly obeyed God. Nor was he counted righteous because his faith itself made him righteous. Abraham was counted righteous because he knew that the only hope that he had was for God to give him something 
that he neither earned nor deserved. Friends, Paul shows us that even Abraham, even the greatest of all the Jews, was justified by faith, not by his works. Now, I think we have this habit when we read the Old Testament that we, we like to sort of paint or look at people with rose-coloured glasses. We, we look at the, the heroes of the Old Testament and we look at their, their obedience. And yet when you look closely, you see none of them are obedient. They're all riddled with sin, just like we are. Because, friends, justification has always been by faith. Trusting in the God who promises. Now next week we're going to look at a little bit more about what this kind of faith looks like. But for now I want us to see how faith is actually the opposite of works. Do you see what Paul says in verse 5? He says, to the one who does not work but trust God who justifies the ungodly. He sets these two things up as opposites. Trusting God is what you do when you, instead of works. Now, if you've read your New Testament, you might realise that this sounds a little bit different to what James says. Because James says, faith without deeds is dead. In fact, in James chapter 2, James actually brings up Abraham. And hear this, this is what he says. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac up on the altar. Do you hear the difference? Paul and James seem to be saying the opposite of each other. Paul says you're justified apart from works. James says Abraham was justified for what he did. Which one is it? Well, in fact, they actually both agree. Because remember, Scripture is the one voice of God. And what Paul is speaking of here is what it is that you are trusting in for your justification. Because here's where it really matters for us. Either we will trust in our own works, in our own ability to make ourselves right with God, or we will trust that only God can justify the ungodly. And it's so important to see that it's either one or the other. You see, so many Christians try to kind of have a foot in both camps. That they believe that Jesus died to save sinners, but then they look at their recent moral performance to declare themselves righteous. They think about how, how well they've performed in the last week as a way of saying, yeah, I am right with God because I'm right with God. My friends, you, you can't have it both ways. It's like me jumping on a plane and saying, I'm 100% confident in the plane and in the pilot. I know that it's going to get me there safely, but I'm just bringing my parachute with me too. You see, it's either one. Either I trust the plane and the pilot or I don't. And friends, either you trust God who justifies the ungodly or you don't. Let me ask you, are you trusting in your own works? 
Do you think that you're right with God because of anything that you have done? Whether that's any rules that you've kept, whether that's any religious service that you've done. Is there anything that you are bringing to the table? Because here verse 5 again, it's, it's so important. It's to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. That faith is credited as righteousness. Now, of course, what James is saying is true. If you have faith, it will produce works. And faith without works is not genuine faith. But friend, do not trust in your works. Your works do nothing to make you right with God. In verse 6, Paul turns from Abraham to Israel's greatest king, David, to show that he also supports his argument. See, Paul writes in verse 6 that David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And just as he did with Abraham, Paul again appeals to God's words, the words of Scripture. And this time to Psalm 32, where David writes, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, those of you who know your Bibles will know that David... He had his problems, didn't he? Most notably, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, Uriah. David was a man who felt acutely his own sin. And so you might expect David to say something like, blessed is the one who does not sin. Blessed is the one who learns to overcome sin but he doesn't say that and he doesn't say that because it's not true the person who does not sin is not blessed they're deluded instead david says the blessed person is the one whose sin is forgiven the blessed person is the one who knows that they couldn't possibly do anything to make themselves right with god or to overcome their own sin and who trusts in the one who justifies the ungodly Friends, that's what it is to be blessed, to know that you can bring nothing to the table. And friends, what's true for Abraham and what's true for King David is true for you. The way to be right with God has always been through faith. And as we briefly consider verses 9 to 15, we see that justification is through faith alone. Paul really wants to stress this because it is so common for people to add to faith, to, to try to say that faith is not enough, that we need to add to it. And so in verse 9, Paul raises the question of whether this blessedness that David wrote about in Psalm 32 belongs only to those who have been circumcised. That was a common belief amongst Jews. Seems a strange question to us. But Jews thought that circumcision was necessary to be right with God. 
And so even in the church, in the New Testament, you had Jewish Christians who would argue that even non-Jews needed to be circumcised to be saved by Jesus. And so verse 9, Paul asks, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? He's saying, what what were the prerequisites? What did Abraham have to do in order to be justified by faith? He must have been circumcised, right? No, it was not after, but before. Abraham wasn't circumcised for at least 10 years after God made the promise and he was counted as righteous. Circumcision was not required. Circumcision was given as a sign, a seal, a marker of God's promises and the righteousness that Abraham had through faith. Down in verse 13, Paul then turns his attention to something else that Jews would trust in, the law. He says if circumcision doesn't count for anything when it comes to justification, maybe maybe the law does. And again, the answer is clear. It has nothing to do with it. For starters, the law wasn't given to Moses for like 500 years after Abraham. God's promise to Abraham clearly can't depend on the law. But aside from that, if the promises depended on Abraham's obedience, then the promise ceases to be a promise. If I promise to love my wife Janice no matter what, I can't then go away and say, oh, I left her because she didn't cook my dinner. A promise with conditions is not a promise. It's a contract, an agreement, a terrible one, but... God's promise of righteousness through faith. It's not a contract, it's a promise. It's a promise that you can't do anything at all to contribute to your own justification. No amount of religious observance or law-keeping or moral effort will make you right with God. The promise is that all you need to do to be counted as righteous is to recognise that there is nothing that you can do to become righteous and to instead rely on the God who counts as righteous those who trust in his promise. Friends, that's the bottom line. There is nothing that we can do. And so let me finish by assuring you that there is a way for you to be right with God. There is a way that is open for you right now to be right with God. This very day, this very moment, you can go home knowing that you are right with God. How precious is that? You can walk out that door confident, having no doubt that you are in right standing with the God who made you, even though you are fully aware of your own sin. But friends, you won't do that. You won't get there through your own efforts. Now, every other religion in the world offers a way to God that is through your own works, 
Every other religion in the world says, do, do, do. And that could be the law-keeping of moralistic Judaism. It could be by obeying the teachings of Muhammad in Islam. It could be improving your karma. I don't really know what that is. But it could be uh, pacifying the spirits in ancestor worship. It could be baptism and communion here in this church. It's all the same. It's all do, do, do. Friends, to be right with God is not do, but done. Recognize that there is nothing that you can do. And so trusting in the God who has done it for you by presenting his own son as a sacrifice of atonement. There is a way of being right with God that has nothing to do with what you have done, are doing, or will do in the future. A way that depends completely on what Christ has done for you. And so, friend, have you taken hold of that promise? Have you believed in the one who can justify the ungodly, who can do the seemingly impossible? You've heard that age-old question, the, you know, you're standing before Jesus on the last day and he asks you, on, on what basis should I let you into my kingdom? What do you say? Because I go to church because I tried really, really hard to do the right thing. Because my faith is so strong. Friend, on those bases, none of us will enter God's kingdom. Because if your answer begins in the first person, because I, because I did this, because my faith is strong, you have immediately gone wrong. Because the only answer, brothers and sisters, is not because I, but because he. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Let me pray. Father God, it's so ingrained in us that we get what we deserve and that we must work to secure your love and your blessing. It's so ingrained in us to think that we are justified by something in us. Lord, help us see that there is nothing in us that could, be, could make us worthy of being counted righteous. It is only because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, please remove in us any sense of self-righteousness, any reliance on ourselves. Lord, help us rejoice in knowing that we are right with you because we are counted righteous, because we trust in the one who justifies the ungodly. 
Lord, help us see how good this news is. It, it sounds like bad news. It sounds hard, but it is so good that you would pardon us on account of Jesus. Lord, help us leave this place knowing that we are blessed because our sin isn't counted against us. We are blessed because our sin has been covered by the sacrificial death of Jesus. Help us rejoice in this and have confidence in this and keep trusting in this every day that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.